Hello, and welcome to the Writers Guild Foundation podcast. I'm Enid Portuguez, the Communications Director for the Foundation. Today's recording is of our June 21st event, Writers on Writing, with Marvel's Jessica Jones. We welcome three writers from the show, Hilly Hicks, Jamie King, and Edward Rycourt. We partnered with our pals from NYU Tisch alumni for the event. NYU Tisch is also Hilly, Jamie, and Ed's alma mater. Moderator Rog Harshavat takes the writers through their diverse experiences before writing for the show, as well as their process for preparing for the season and the intricacies of crafting and adapting Jessica's world and character from the comics. We also hear some interesting tidbits about the succinct dialogue of the show, the types of notes they received from Netflix and Marvel, and the approach showrunner Melissa Rosenberg takes on addressing some of the seemingly sensational aspects of the show. I want to take a moment to thank you all for your support for the foundation and our events. It's our 50th anniversary this year, and your attendance really keeps our programs, such as the library and the Veterans Writing Project, going. Do check out wgfoundation.org for more events and ways to donate to our programs. And without further ado, here's Writers on Writing with Marvel's Jessica Jones. Thanks, Chris. So I'm not going to say much because you're not here to see me, uh, but this is a really, really exciting event uh, for NYU alumni. Now, I know some of you guys here aren't NYU alumni, and that's totally okay. We're, we're going to be friendly. Uh, but what's really cool about this event is that um, Hilly, Ed, and Jamie, all are NYU alumni, all ended up on the same show together. We met them together. And I think that's just really cool because we're going to get to see you know three writers who came from completely different places ended up in the same place, all have been super successful, and I think we're going to learn a lot from being able to watch that and talk to these guys. Um, so that's what's really unique about this. So just so it's clear, we're all here because these guys worked on Jessica Jones, which is an awesome show that I'm, all sh- I'm sure all of you guys have seen and really like. I hope you've seen it because if you came to a Jessica Jones panel, you should expect some spoilers. They're probably going to talk about it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but... Yeah, so without further ado, I want to uh, let these guys out. So uh, first we've got Jamie King, who uh, finished the season as a staff writer on season one of Jessica Jones. Come on in. Next we have uh, Edward Rycourt, who uh, did season one as a consulting producer. And finally, we have Hilly Hicks Jr., who uh, is working on season two now as a consulting producer, coming out. So I didn't talk too much about these guys because I want them to talk about themselves. So uh, if you guys don't mind, I would hope you uh, could give us a little bit of your backstories of how you ended up in the show and as a writer and kind of how you came out of NYU. Jamie, do you want to start? Uh, okay. So I uh, went to NYU for uh, theater acting, uh, actually, a long, long time ago, and uh, transitioned to writing while living in New York, came out here uh, for grad school, and did a bunch of internships everywhere I could. Um, one of those internships was at AMC, the network, which led to uh showrunner's assistant job on one of their shows. 
And then through that, I uh, got a job as on the first season of Jessica Jones as assistant to uh, Liz Friedman, who is the EP. Um, and then from there, I just had a really great first season and worked my way up. And I was became the script coordinator, and I got a freelance, and then I got another freelance, and then I ended the season as a you know with a short staff writer contract. And now I'm back uh, as a full-time official staff writer in season two. So that's my, that's my short story. Awesome. I uh, went to NYU for uh, my MFA in dramatic writing. And the very next day, I moved out here, uh, which was smack into the writer's strike. So <laughs> there were no jobs, no opportunities. So I wrote a spec. And luckily, that spec sold to uh, Paramount, a spec called Year 12, sold to Paramount, and made the blacklist, got me in the Marvel Writers Program. Uh, uh, I had written this other thing called Now You See Me that came out and did really well. Um, but in the Marvel Writers Program, I was working on a Luke Cage movie, um, and that was like 2009, 2010. Uh, flash forward past the Now You See Me stuff and all that, I had a meeting with Melissa Rosenberg. And she wanted me to write this book. And I said, why aren't you writing it? You're a writer. She says, oh, I'm doing this thing, Jessica Jones. I said, oh, Luke Cage's wife. Just thinking, oh, you know, because I knew the world. And the light bulb went off. And she gave me this great opportunity to be in the room with these guys. Uh, Let's see. So I went to NYU uh, for um, production. I was going to be a writer, producer, director, uh, focusing on directing. But... um, my personality kind of just winnowed out the other things. And um, right after NYU, I was recruited by Disney to write trailers, like movie trailers and stuff like that, which I did for um, several years out here. I went back to school at Columbia, studied theater, was in theater for a while, and um, a manager out here saw one of my, a workshop of one of my plays and uh, brought me out here for some meetings that led to my first TV job. And then the various TV jobs I've had since then kind of led up to meeting Melissa Rosenberg. And I got this job. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you. Um, So uh, one of the things that you guys all kind of share is, I guess, your differences. I mean, so many of you guys have done different kinds of mediums, uh, acting, you know, working in features, uh, you know, graphic novels and working on plays. Um, so can you guys talk a little bit about, um, considering Jessica Jones is like the top of the TV writing game, you guys should be very proud of it. Uh, how did your experiences in those different mediums maybe inform or help you as a writer towards, uh, what you've worked on now? I haven't written any movies (laughs) that got made yet. Um, but I don't... I don't know, maybe I'm not the one to start. You start. I feel like <laughs> I feel like what really helped was was what Melissa did in in the casting sort of of the room because we are, as you say, from so many diverse backgrounds and genders and age groups and and uh, uh, some of us knew a lot about uh, the Alias comics and some knew nothing. So we weren't sort of beholden to sort of one approach other than that book in the middle of the table and how are we going to sort of approach it. So uh, we all sort of had our different points of views, but we all sort of followed that one sort of uh, directive from Melissa. And I think it was a nice sort of stew she cooked of the writers and different opinions that, that helped 
make that happen. Yeah, I would say uh, both Jamie, Jamie and Ed are way more steeped in Marvel lore than I am. Um, so, you know, I guess coming from theater, you know, it focuses a lot on like character and, and, and voice and stuff like that. And I feel like, you know, that was my, you know, contribution is, is kind of coming at it from outside, outside the box and, and contributing like, you know, character and that kind of thing. But as I was saying, like, you know, half of the room are Marvel geeks and half are civilians. And so um, uh, it's a good mix. Right. And, and Melissa herself is, is more in the civilian camp, which I think is why the show appeals to, you know, a wider non geek audience and then i do have a pretty uh you know first all, my whole childhood i feel like has been researching for this job so yeah i do feel like i have the, the you know every, every now and then to be like oh maybe this is a marvel thing this is you know bring that in as sort of like a flavor but not the spine of the show um which is very much for everybody awesome well uh so you guys kind of answered this a little bit but I guess all of you guys come together, you get put into the room, you get the call, you get part casted, so to speak. Uh, individually, what kind of preparation do you guys do before your first day on a new job like this to make sure that you know you uh, you know the material? Or do you guys do that together as a group? Um, a little bit of both. Because, I mean, I had to do probably more than they did. I had to, you know, sort of... I read definitely Alias, which is what Jessica Jones is based on. Um, that's There's a you know, 10 years, I guess, worth of comic books. Um, and I read some Luke Cage comics and some other surrounding characters. Um, and then I think when we started the room, we also, because Melissa had an idea that this would be, as, as you know, is indicated in the comic books, it's kind of a noir feel. So uh, we watched Chinatown. That was one of our, you know, reference points for this. And a lot of, we had also another writer, Scott Reynolds, who's really, 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 knows like every movie that's ever been produced. And so he could steer us to a lot of, you know, noir type films that might, in, you know, in, inform what we were working on. So my my preparation was like the thing that it's based on and a lot of these noir movies. I, uh, <laughs> my agent was like, oh, you know, when we're making the deal, you know, I did the Marvel, which is, you do know Jessica Jones because she's a small character. I was like, yeah, I remember her from Luke Cage and blah, blah, blah. When I hung up, everything was filtered through Luke Cage's point of view, through his comics. So I had to sort of, you know, rush to the comic book store down on Melrose and, and buy a really overpriced alias because they were out of print. <laughs> and uh, I read it and and, and uh, uh, I was like, all right, cool. I know the story. She had, Melissa had a pitch document because this was originally going to be an ABC show which thankfully they passed on because the darker sort of grittier version is the best version of the show and i also called a friend of mine marco ramirez who was working uh and is now show running daredevil and it was going to be my first foray into a writer's room i was like all right just let me know the rhythm of it what should i be aware of and this and that and and then you just went in and you just sort of go with it you know you just jump in the water <laughs> basically yeah, the the Alias book, if anybody here hasn't read it, I highly recommend. I hadn't read it as a huge comic book fan until I got this job, and it's great. It's one of those, you read it and you're like, oh, yeah, this should be a TV show. Like, this is, it's so well, you know, Brian Michael Bennett's amazing, like, top writer. Um, and it's it's nice, it's kind of a gift and a curse that we have, we're not Daredevil, and we don't have 60 years of comic book stories. We have, like, this one 
really great run. Um, so yeah, we just sort of immersed ourselves in that. Um, and then, yeah, I was, I was reading cause I was an assistant on the show. Uh, and it, this was daredevil season one was being produced. I was also reading the daredevil scripts and was really the only person who knew I re- that was a way to make myself invaluable early on was to know what was going on in daredevil because we didn't want to repeat those beats. And so if some, we were going down a road and be like, ah, oh, daredevil does that, or they've already said this and we're in their same universe, or maybe you suggest a character who's been in that. So that was sort of what I, you know, found a unique way to do. It's funny. Daredevil was right across from us. So now I got the job and my friend Marco, we would run into each other in the bathroom. We're like, how's Jessica Jones going? Good. How's Daredevil going? Good. (laughs) We were always like looking to figure out what information, what were they doing? So it was a funny dynamic. Yeah. These shows are, the security is, so intense with Marvel. I mean, you can't talk to anybody, not even your, you know, closest spouse or child who can't even talk. You can't tell the, the <laughs> any spoilers to anyway. That so it's, it's always kind of a little bit of a tap dance, like what you can say to who in the hallway. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, talking about the three of you guys being on the same show, I guess my question is. Uh, what was your relationship with each other as you work on a show with your your peers and, and such like that? And I guess, what is your relationship with Melissa? You know, your showrunner, and and how do you guys interact with her on a daily basis? And how does that you know inform your writing over the course of the process? Well, I mean, for me, it was like one of extreme uh, deference and respect <laughs> to everybody, uh, you know, in, in in the room, and just trying to you know get in there and and learn from this these guys who have been you know doing it longer than i have and know more about it and then like uh with melissa it's like she's she's great and i just i just wanted to learn how to make her life easier and uh you know identify what her you know where she needed help where maybe she needed help that she didn't realize it and and sort of like you know just be extremely helpful. Never create, a, never come to her with a, oh my God, you can't, I need you to fix this thing. Be like, oh, this thing happened and I fixed it and you didn't even know about it. Like that's, that was what I tried to be my relationship with, with her. Yeah. I liked all the guys in the room and g- gals in the room. Uh, we were a pretty tight group. You know, we went to lunch, you know, and hung out. Uh, 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 so it was a, it was a, t- it was a cool group. You know, M- Melissa always sort of felt like, you know, it feels like the, the, the parent you have to sort of please because it's her baby and she's lived with it for a long time. And, you know, there there could be a Jessica Jones question that that I could answer as, as Ed the writer. But I'm trying to think what is the answer that she would think in her mind's eye is the best view for the show. So it's a little like, you know, trying to be like, is it like this? You know, and I'm trying to like get into what her head is, you know. Uh, but she is a, a very strong ringleader. She, uh, I, I wouldn't say like a, like a mentor, although she brought, he brought you up in the ranks and stuff like that and brings in a lot of uh, 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 diversity in terms of uh, hiring female directors and making sure that there's a lot of diversity uh, behind the camera or in front of the camera. When I say like mentor, like, you know, when I went in as a writer, I got to bring in my knowledge and my skill and keep up, you know, and she expects you to sort of keep up and, and sort of rewards that and stuff in front of the camera. But, uh, but we're a pretty tight group. 
Yeah, I would say, I mean, just basically to reiterate um, that our relationship with her, with my relationship with Melissa is, is basically one of supporting her vision. Um, even when she's still, especially in the first season where we were, you know, we didn't have, there was no pilot. We came in kind of with a blank slate, more or less. So, uh, you know, she's shaping her vision and we are there to, you know, support that, the shaping of that vision, you know, and contribute to it. Um, and also with each other, uh, you know, to cheerlead, to, you know, um, whatever, uh, if you hit like a, a wall or whatever, we would come to each other. But mostly, I mean, especially in the beginning stages, we're in one room um, for like nine hours, literally like nine hours. With no AC. That no AC. never worked. Like one time we had to break the room in the hallway <laughs> because it was so hot. So it's a pretty um, intense process, and you get close very quickly. But the fact that we all still get along, I feel like, and that I would like go out to lunch and have a great time with anybody from the first season is like pretty great. I think not, you know, necessarily what happens on every show, and a testament to like, yeah, she put together a really great room. Yeah, she has a, um, a no assholes policy, and so very strict. <laughs> So, uh, getting into the nitty-gritty of it, uh, what was the process in the writer's room as you guys broke stories, broke the season, um, and maybe how has that process been different on, in experiences where you guys have seen it in other writer's rooms in the past, and, uh, and what did you guys do to really make sure you had a tight kind of arc, considering you were putting them all together at once? You know, the whole show had to come together, all 12 episodes, right? Um, okay, so... The basic thing is, tell me if I'm <laughs> missing something. But uh, so we all sit in this room for nine or ten hours a day, um, you know, brainstorming ideas, pitching out ideas, and and um, broad strokes like what we think the whole season's about thematically, emotionally, where Jessica Jones is starting and ending, and where each of the characters is starting and ending. Um, it starts to take the form of a, a big long narrative, and, and we like, especially since we're on Netflix, we like to think of it as a big thirteen-hour movie. So you're basically telling one story, and um, you get more. You know, the longer, the more the days and weeks go by, the more details you get until like it starts to take individual shapes of different episodes. Um, and then, of course, Melissa will say, "Okay, so you go off and write episode one, or she writes episode one, but you know, she'll start to assign." Uh, the different episodes as they kind of come together. Um, that's the general. You forgot to mention that since you, Hilly has amazing handwriting, he is often the person up at these boards writing all of this stuff, and like so much stuff to then be just completely erased and just starting over right. multiple times a day. Uh, yeah, it's intense. It is. Yeah, in the room there were two boards. There were sort of like the season arc board with the names of all the characters listed and one through 13. And then the other board was our, our, our episode board. And I remember first coming in and everything was sort of blue sky as, as they call it, where anything goes, she, uh, Melissa said, anything goes, tell me what you think about these characters, where they could go. There was no story. And we talked for like three weeks and 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 those to me were the crucial weeks because you felt like all right those were the theme of the shows and the things that she told you in those first few weeks you got started to get a lock in on what the voice was you know she wanted a Jessica Jones who would not use her sexuality to get 
what she wanted. She wasn't going to be in a, uh, on a stripper pole. She wasn't going to be this. Because we tried. <laughs> so many yeah. times we tried. <laughs> there were vicious. What if she's at the club and. <laughs> Never going to see it. <laughs> you know, so, so those first few weeks helped uh, formulate the story. But also when we're going to pitch something, I go back to those first few weeks and you go, okay, this is the sort of guiding principles that she sort of laid out that will formulate our pitch. She's also really good about, and I, I don't know if this is typical of, you know, my room experience is limited, but she really goes, even if we have a story that, like, feels like it's cool and exciting and, like, the plot is cool, she has to feel like there's an emotional journey for, like, every character. And we'll go back, and we'll all kind of be like, ah, and she'll be like, so where does Jessica start? Where does she end? How does this thrust her into the next episode? And it makes it really hard, and sometimes, you know, it, but I think it, I think it shows in the, in the final product. Yeah, I think that that's definitely been something that's a, a key quality of hers is, is she's the emotion is like one of is probably the most important aspect of any of the episodes, even probably more than plot, even though there's you know a strong plot. Um, others, other show, um, other shows I've been on, um, writers' rooms have been started at different places. Like you, you start with like what's going on plot wise, whereas the hero, what's the hero got to do, and what's the conflict, and and that kind of thing. Um, this definitely is much more emotionally driven. Theme also was very important to her. Uh, uh, we would do an episode, and she would write on the board, you know, there's no place like home or something like that, and and those 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 uh a story and b story somehow had to merge into that which i found that was new to me which was tough because you could have this great scene but in her mind it could feel out of place to the theme that we're establishing you know what if kilgrave came in and did blah blah blah? hey no place like home hello you know so so that was tough but it was a it was a, a way of breaking story that that she focused on working on the room and 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 that was one of the big things that she she did in the, in the room yeah so i mean you guys talk a lot about jessica jones as a character and obviously melissa sounds like she put a lot of her effort into shaping that character but uh as you guys watched and unfold the room, how did you get, kind of make sure that she wasn't cliche, that she fit her new role? And when did Kristen Ritter come in at the point where you guys had already written a lot of the character or was she at the beginning of the process so you could use her to shape it? Uh, I guess, you know, watching the show, she sticks out as being so multidimensional. How did you guys make sure that happened? Um, she came in after we had written, a lot, shaped the character before she got involved. So, uh, which is actually um, unusual in the sense that normally there's a pilot, and so you know who the actors are, you can kind of imagine their voice and stuff like that. We had, as uh, Ed, I think, said, um, she had sort of a, a vision book of, you know, this is what maybe Jessica Jones looks like. She's kind of messy. And, I mean, that's one thing about all the characters in the storytelling, even, is like it's a little bit, like, messy and frayed at the edges, and, and that's what Jessica Jones is. She's messy and frayed. And um, so, yeah, we had, we kind of... Uh, came up with a whole character and a whole life for the character before we started the casting process. Yeah, and it's just sort of, I don't know, I think uh, Melissa has a very clear idea in her head of like what Jessica would and wouldn't do. And the more time you spend with her, the more you sort of send to pick that up and will even, you know, stop yourself from pitching something that she like clearly wouldn't do. And like a, a lot of it is, uh, 
you know, her as a hero, I think she approaches, you know, heroism in a very different way than, you know, Daredevil or most things that you'd typically see. It's like she, she does have this desire to do good, but it's much sort of messier and like rooted in her, you know, what is personal to her. The first season was this, you know, very personal journey and and so there's never Mel will always push us away from this like and then she's gonna go save the city because it's my city and that's what i do it's like that's not our show but she'll save like the little girl next door who's in trouble that's that's our show yeah, when we when, when we uh i think first came in the room it was june and daredevil was shooting their episodes and in our in the sound stages we weren't going to shoot until the following next year in like january so it was so we, – we, we started so far ahead that we would hear little things like we didn't even have a casting person when we were writing scripts until three, four in. And then we would hear things like, oh, what do you think of this person or that person? Oh, okay. And then you just keep writing. So there was no Kristen Ritter in our heads. But when she came on, wow, she, 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 she owned it. I, she was in uh, – me and some of the other assistants and I were fantasy casting the show in our heads very early on, and she was on the short list. So we were like – when she actually had a cast, she was like, oh, yeah, this is, this, this is perfect. Well, another big character in the show, obviously, is Kilgrave, and he's clearly iconic throughout the show. I think anyone who watched the show feels like he was very memorable. Um, what was the process of shaping him? I mean, he's so bad. There's so much, I'm sure, from the, the source material that you got to, to – to realize how bad he was, but also how did you keep him realistic and grounded and, you know, obviously doesn't go purple to the end. So like, how did you, you know, make sure to, uh, how did you guys develop that arc? Um, I think what it is, I mean, partially what it is, probably a lot of things, but, um, is what he wants is so relatable and so, um, human, which is to be loved and to love as opposed to the usual villain thing, um, which isn't, Maybe it's relatable to some people to rule the world, but um, <laughs> it was just so it's such a human thing that you almost. In fact, actually, we did uh, strive to have some some episodes where you actually sympathize with the guy, um, and I think that that makes him all the more scary in a way. The more human you make him, the the more scary he is because it's it's like it could be in your life in a way. Um, you know, th- for me, that was interesting. I think it was a. I think it was a, a, a hard line because this is like a survivor story, you know, and it's hard to find layers in somebody as villainous as that, you know. So, but uh, 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 I, I remember the women in the room would pitch things and, and me and Scott Reynolds would be like, oh, is, can there be a nice guy anywhere? <laughs> Everybody was so like like mean, you know, but uh, but eventually – uh, as, as you start, as the storytellers start to go, and all, everybody in the room, you start finding these moments of, this is how he became who he became, and this is the cause, not the not the excuse, but this is the cause, you know. And I, I think uh, uh, we we dealt with those things very sensitively, and uh, it, it it it, you know, I think I think. And David Tennant brought so much to it. You know, I think he did a really great job with that character. Yeah, uh, I, I was lucky enough to write uh, episode nine with uh, Dana Barada, and we but we dealt with a lot of that stuff where he, you know you sort of go into his past. And I remember that was like there was initially some you know pushback to the fact that like, well, do we want to 
do we want to feel sympathy for this guy? And do we want to, you know, feel that maybe Jessica is going too far? And, you know, our answer united as a room was like, yes, like that, that what is what makes it interesting, you know, for me when I'm drawn into being like, Oh, I'm sort of, I'm sort of feeling for this guy, and then we we're always like, "Well, don't worry, he's going to do really horrible stuff. <laughs> he's about to do like the worst thing you can imagine." So, like, we're going to get back on board that he's a bad guy. We'll take care of it. <laughs> so, Jessica Jones is a detective show. I mean, or is a detective at least in the character? But you know, you've also got a superhero show. You guys talked a lot about the film noir influences, and that you guys watched Chinatown beforehand. How did you balance genre in the show, and, and how did you know uh, when you wrote an event or you wrote you know, a story that it would fit within your world that you guys were building? Well, the world is actually very... We wanted to keep it as grounded as possible, and in, in a way, the superhero aspect of it is almost in the background. It's just sort of like a given, and, um, and everything that happens is you know, meant to feel really sort of gritty and real and... Um, you know, and you can see by the way we did the the um, showed her stunts and stuff like that. Mostly, it's sort of off camera or suggested um, because what's important is is what she's doing. And um, uh, I don't know. Yeah, the PI of it. It's interesting. I it, it does need to be granted. And one of the things I did early on as an assistant was like make a list of things that real PIs do and like. Some of it's pretty boring, like it's, you know, insurance fraud and stuff that you're like, is that what I want to watch on Netflix? But you, but from that, like, there are interesting stories, you know, something that starts, and I think we're always looking for that as like, what starts as like, you know, a case she would just take for money, because she's paying her rent, that's what she's doing at the end of the day, and then, you know, goes in an interesting, not necessarily in, like a superhero direction, but an interesting human, you know, character direction that we wouldn't expect um, while keeping it, you know, super grounded and, like, believable. Yeah, and often, so we take something that's very grounded, very believable, and then, you know, then try to find that one thing that, what is Jessica, as a, somebody who has powers, add that, what's the one special little thing that she can add strength-wise or, you know, jumping-wise or whatever um, that can, you know, raise her above the normal P.I.? Yeah, she had that early on uh, uh, in the in the initial ABC document that she doesn't fly; she jumps. She jumps really high and stuff like that. So it was grounded. I coming from the Marvel and the Luke Cage thing, I did miss. I did miss, and I and, and, you, and you say in the room sometimes you push, but I'm like, I don't know. But I did miss <laughs> Luke Cage not being able to take a bullet, you know, because he's supposed to have the impenetrable skin and it's the, the metaphor of nothing can hurt me, nothing can get into me which was you know how that was with him and jessica and i i i missed that you know but yeah you can't it's hard as a like a, tr- a true marvel guy you to get you know you gotta like go to some of the <laughs> stuff that was one of the babies was like uh he gets shot and he goes into a coma okay but <laughs> but he could take a chainsaw to the stomach but 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 i missed that but but uh but the luke cage character is gonna be uh was really cool, and and it was like something I worked on like f- five, six years before. So it was cool to finally like get to see what Luke was like. Could he take a bullet in your movie? I bet he could. He took quite a few bullets and kept <laughs> on going. <laughs> but that didn't get made though. <laughs> um, oh, one last thing about the PI stuff. Um, 
I also feel like uh, Melissa's really good at like taking conventions from PI, you know, like things that we're familiar with as viewers, and then like what's the Jessica version of it, like flipping them. Like I think in episode seven, uh, where she like holds the woman over the track, she's like threatening her, but then she like drops her. Is like, oh shit, I didn't mean to do that. Like that is a very like Jessica. You would expect to like, I'm gonna threaten you, and it's gonna drive the story. But like, you don't expect somebody to be like, oh, I just screwed up, and now you're gonna get hit by this train. Like that's a, it's cool. It's like you take them down a road, and then you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Well, taking into keeping things grounded, uh, how did you guys straddle the line of superhero action sequences, writing those things, knowing that you have a TV budget? You know, when you're writing your scenes, I mean, what kind of limitations did you guys put on yourself and how did those come together? We definitely de-emphasize action. <laughs> uh, I think that that's sort of not the um, where our show lives and dies, art lives and thrives. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, that's sort of more of like a daredevil concern. Our, our concern more would be um, like, you know, the story and the character and, and then... Um, you know, because um, we actually didn't have, like, a lot of huge action set pieces. Um, we do uh, tension is our action. I feel like we're a suspense show. So whereas Daredevil will, you know, have to have, I don't know, however many fight scenes per episode, like, we have scenes of tension and suspense and where, you know, she's going down the hallway and, like, and you, there's no bad guy in that scene in the pilot where she's like you know re rescuing hope from the hotel but like it's a very tense suspenseful scene which is like that's the that's the noir of it and i feel like we try to hit those moments and also like superhero we like you want to see her do something that a normal person couldn't do maybe every episode but yeah we're not we didn't have to worry as much about fight choreography uh because she can't really She's not a trained fighter. She doesn't really fight. So, you know, she punches people and they're like done fighting. Yeah, she's like a she's like a brawler and every, so we tried to keep any stunts and and um ac any action that we did have would be like really messy and kind of, you know, uh clumsy almost um cuz she's not, you know, good at it. She's not smooth and polished. Um and um yeah. She also doesn't wear a mask, which makes her harder to double for, uh, you know, just for practical concerns in terms of, like, the set thing, you know? It's just, an, which is, you know, not as much an issue for a guy with a stocking cap pulled over his eyes. And also, we try to keep her being a very clever PI, like, you know, so it's not just her muscle that gets her out of situations or helps her solve a case or whatever. It's that she, she, she's a good PI, and she, she's, you know, she thinks of a clever way to, to do things, so... You know, having at the end Trish come in as her double, you know, she's, she's good at that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, kind of transitioning a little bit into, you know, how you guys got here and, you know, the business of it all. Um, what's um, something you wish someone had told you guys initially when you were first starting out professionally? Um, I can't think of anything, but um, <laughs> I do, I think that, like, something that I wish I had done or told myself is, is actually just here in this building as um, spent a lot more time at the uh, library just reading um, old scripts and, and produced scripts and unproduced scripts I think they have in the library, um, which I did off, off, often but not often enough, I felt like. And so um, I, that's something I wish had been enforced on me or something like that, just that I spent more time here at the library. 
I think for me is uh, uh, don't just take something for the money, you know, take it because you believe that you can do a good job with it and that you you really connect with it. You know, when I when I came out here and I'm starting and, you know, the ramen noodle days, you know, they were like, oh, somebody wants to hire you for this, like, really forget about the WGA scale. It's like really small. I was like, I take it, you know, and they were like, explain to me what it was. I was like, oh, my God, I don't know how to write this thing, you know, and I feel like I should. Uh, uh, luckily, that was like the one time, but that taught me. Um, you know, really pick your things. And, and no matter what stage you are, there's a power to say no. You know, that's not me. And, if, and they're like, no? You're saying no to this? Yeah, no, because it's not right, my right thing. You read my sample. You like me. So let's wait for the right thing. That was important to me. Yeah, I feel like it's not really like what I haven't been told. It's like what I've been told that I wish I had listened to <laughs> uh, is a large uh, category of stuff. But... Uh, and some of it is just like, uh, you know, the cliche is almost just like, you know, patience and that like everything happens for a reason, like that old thing, which people tell me, and I'm like, screw you, you don't know what it's like, but it's like, it kind of does. Like, it's like if you, you know, work hard and, you know, put yourself in a situation where that work can be recognized, you know, which is very difficult to do in of itself, it's like, it, it 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 will eventually find a way to happen, even though if it's not the thing that you really really think is gonna be the thing that happens, it's like it, you know, snuck up, sneaks up, and 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 happens another way, which is very cool. All of you guys came through and, and broke through through different paths. Um, you know, are you guys seeing a particular way that you know people are entering writers' rooms that you work on? Obviously, Jamie, you went in as an assistant and you know worked way up is that what you're seeing commonly or do you do you guys have any other advice for people who are just trying to break in and and get their first break oh man i have so much advice you guys i got this one uh (laughs) no because like this is this is so so cool because i would come to like a lot of these type of things you know with these guys um you know and still do um so I, i recommend that i feel like you just have to for me, it was like I just tried everything I could because you never know what it's going to be. And I was making, when I was in New York, I was making sketch videos with my friends and putting up plays and like, because you never know what's going to go viral and like get you discovered. But it's really, you, you never know what's going to go viral. That's a really hard thing to do. So it's like at the same time, you know, you write spec features and pilots and you submit them to competitions and fellowships and maybe that's going to pop off and get your recognition, but you never know. And so then I was like, at the same time, I'm going to try and make my day job, um, you know, what I'd always been good, like at working my, you know, money day job in New York. I was like, if I'm going to come to LA and make my day job something that will further my creative goals. And like, for me, that was what did it. It was like, I needed to get in a situation, um, which again, like was a super hard job to get. And I had to intern for free for no money for three years in order to even get in that room. But then once you're there... There's like, there's just a lot of work to be done, and if you work hard and are willing to do it, um, it the, then for me that was like, it was just sort of like once I got in there, it just all started happening. So I, I feel like my advice would be try you know every avenue you can because you never know what it's going to be, and be 
you know, it's all, all the writing that you do is, makes you a better writer. So really there's no wasted, you know, nothing is wasted. Even the, the competition doesn't work. The short film doesn't work. It's like, you still got to be a writer, better writer by doing that. So if you do get into a position where somebody's like, somebody like Melissa's like, hey, let me read your pilot or, you know, write this scene and let me see how it is. Like, you can write the shit out of that scene because, like, that's your shot, and you might not, you know, it, it might be some, like, scene where two characters rent a van, and it seems really boring, but you write the best freaking van rental scene you've ever seen, and, like, that's, that, that's the way it happens, I think. And, and know, who you're, know who you're working for, you know? Research the, 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 the hell out of it. Uh, you know, Melissa, you know, not only gave, you know, opportunity for Jamie, but even like our, our, our writer's assistant in the room, she would say, put the computer down and pitch us a story. What do you think? Because he's sitting in there like 10 hours with us, you know, so that was good. But I, I've been on another show where the, the, the showrunner's great, an amazing showrunner, but his, in his mind, he doesn't think to promote from within. You know, that's not his, his, his style. You know, great if you're the writers and stuff and great experience, but Jamie wouldn't have had that experience probably if you were on this blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. but Melissa is built from a different, uh, different value system, you know, so that's, you know, uh, it, it, that, that, that's good to have a showrunner that, that, that believes in that. Yeah, I, I would also agree with Jamie about like just basically trying everything and um, you know competitions and fellowships and things like that because even if you're not winning them, people are reading what you're doing and because sometimes you'll I found this out through both playwriting and the, uh, and through um, screenwriting is that there could be a panel of people reading it and you know there's an agent on the panel who loves your script but that's the only person on the panel who loves the script. So you may not win the competition, but maybe you get an agent out of it. You know what I mean? So, um, and I think also, which is probably pretty obvious, but um, is always be writing um, uh, that. And if, if you can work out a way, if anybody especially is still in NYU or in some kind of program or something like that, internships and um, volunteering are so like invaluable in terms of like just getting experience and learning the world and making connections, um, learning how things work, because there is a lot of work to be done, and um, people love to have other people do it for free. Yeah, yeah. Internships are, are so important, both because that's you know for me where you get all your connections, and then also just like reading, like you were saying, the library downstairs is great. Like I think you know almost as important as writing is reading scripts. And all the when I was in grad school, I was interning at Paramount and AMC, and so I would just read features, and I go and read TV. And you just learn about what works and what doesn't work, and just like ravenously, you know, cons- consume as many as many scripts as possible. You know, when I came here to LA, I was in the exact same spot everybody else was. I've gone to the Q and As, I've gone to the thing, and I'm sitting there wondering, what's the secret? How the hell did you get to sit here? Like, what's the secret password? You know, and there is none. You just got to attack it literally on all fronts. You know, I've applied to the Austin Film Festival, then the Coles Fellowship, to anything. If your mother had a contest, I applied to that, you know? (laughs) It's like everything. And then you just, it's just like you just see, like, you get a single. You get, like, a a double. You start to, like, get some kind of momentum, you know? And I just kept my head down, and I kept writing. And it's like sort of matchmaking. Somebody will 
finally like, – I wrote a script six years ago that now is getting a producer because I just never quit on it. I never gave up. When my agent said, oh, give it up. When my manager says, give it up. It's the same philosophy I had when I was eating the ramen noodles. I believe in it. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep submitting it. I'm going to keep doing it until one person, a judge or something or whoever says, I think there's something in there. Let's have a meeting. And then that's sort of how it how it grows, you know? Yeah, Austin was a good... I submitted a lot to that one, too. I like that. And I've been there. It's a great film festival if anybody's ever gone because they will give you... Even if you don't, there's like a second round that you can get to, which is like you don't win anything, but you're in like the top 10%. Which means that like ninety percent of the other however many thousands of applicants they have are I are more delusional than I am about their chances of being a writer. So when I got that letter that was like you're in the top ten percent, I'd be like, okay, that's enough for me to like keep doing this for another year. Like even if you get nothing else out of it, it's like okay, you know, I'm the one in ten people that like maybe you know. Maybe there's a shot at this. And what's great about that also, I'm not, I'm not paid by Austin Film Festival, but here you go. Uh, 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 and it's not like the writers. The writers are the heroes there. Yeah. It's all about the writers, and they're not behind some velvet rope at, at the parties. They throw a party every night. There's Shane Black by the pool table. You ask him a question, he'll talk to you forever. There's Vince yeah. Gilligan. He'll talk to you forever. You just come up and, hey, you want to talk? And they have barbecues, and they're all, like, right there. All of, like, my heroes and writers that I love are, like, right there. They just sort of hang with you and not, like, hide in their hotel. So those those avenues are are, are, are there. I would just say, you know, bite the bullets, pay the, pay the airfare or drive it, and, and, and you might make that one connection that moves you that one more inch. Um, I would also say to... Um, expand your be creative about being creative um, so for example I never thought or dreamed about becoming a copywriter but uh, when I was doing it first of all I do love movie trailers but um, beyond that though it actually sort of became a, sort of like a second education a second um, MFA after NYU because you learn a lot about um, writing a story by having to take apart deconstruct a movie and then retell it in four minutes with a beginning, middle, and end, a tone, you know, if you're producing it, like what music do you have, how you're cutting it. Um, And I feel like that that's true with, you know, a lot of different kinds of writing. So even if you're not writing on a TV show or writing a movie, you know, any kind of writing is educational and helpful. We'll say one last thing about this. I love this question. Uh, I would say just don't don't try not to be impatient, which is like my biggest thing, because you don't want. I've seen people who will like make all the right moves and work for all the right people to like get in the room, you know, as young as they possibly can, and like just so quickly that I'm like, how did you do that? But they haven't, you know had another career writing movie trailers. They're like had you know these other you know built up. You want to some to fail at some stuff and to, you know, really get out there and have some life under your belt. So when you have the opportunity, you can take advantage of it. I heard some something I heard somebody say at an event like this uh, many years ago was it's better to be a discovery than a favor. And I really took that to heart. And I really believe that, that if somebody, which was very much my experience last year of people being like, Oh shit, like you, you can write this. Oh, well we better give you more writing stuff to do. It's like, which is wonderful, you know, I was told, you know, when I got the job, no script for two years, don't expect anything, and I had that 
philosophy and then everything else was just like an amazing wonderful joy on top of that rather than being feeling like you're owed something or entitled to something which is not as much a good place to be the release of a netflix show is not like anything else uh they all come out at once all of your guys's work get criticized at once the internet starts to flood up what did you guys do the day that season one released did you guys do anything special or think about it at all I remember a few days before, like a week before, Netflix invited us all to their office and uh, they have like a movie theater there and they had a Jessica Jones marathon, you know, so they had like a little, you know, cheese platter or whatever and we came in, but we all had, we were all sort of working or doing other things by, by then, so we would come in at different times and kind of catch up, but that was my, my first glimpse of Jessica Jones, and I watched the first five episodes, which ha- I left right around after my episode, but I stayed for the first, for the first five. That's a good five hours, hey. But, uh, but it was cool catching. It was like a, like a slash reunion, uh, a slash reunion uh, 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 marathon, so that was, that was cool that Netflix did that. That was a crazy way to experience the show, too, because I don't usually watch... 10 hours of anything consecutively but like netflix like that's how they you know people consume their stuff so like all of their you know notes and everything is geared towards this sort of like remember people have just seen this and to watch it as like a 10 hour movie was really like i was like oh this works i think we're all texting is anybody still there because it was like into like nine o'clock yeah, uh, but that was actually a few weeks before it came out, right? It was, yeah, you're right. We uh, <laughs> so the actual day that it came out, um, I, I, I had started another uh, show, which was in New York, so I wasn't here, and um, I actually didn't even have time to like totally binge it, but um, uh, it was not anything, I didn't have a, like, a party or anything, but, but uh, except for my own private little... You know, shindig. It's it's hard. It's challenging to have watch parties for Netflix shows. I've found because you don't know when anybody's watched your thing. Like I, I've had friends who are writers, so they'll be like, "My episode of blah 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 is airing this week. Everybody, come over and watch it. It's a big deal." We didn't have that, so like this was my first produced episode of TV. I very much wanted to have a party, but like when to throw the party <laughs> like you don't want to do it like too early and people are like racing to catch up or they don't know what's going on you don't want it too late everybody's already seen the whole thing so we just sort of like had to pick a date and then i did a little like you know we did did a party and had friends over and did a little like previously on jessica jones kind of thing and then uh, showed the episode i kind of remember now i was on vacation which was the worst thing because i'm sitting with like relatives and they're watching football i'm like does anybody want to watch netflix <laughs> Does anybody want to turn? <laughs> it's like, nah, this is Florida versus Florida State. I was like, hello? Yeah, so that, that was my first day. <laughs> well, uh, I think we're going to open it up to questions now uh, for these guys. Uh, you know, keep in mind that the question's for them, and uh, I'm sure everyone's going to do a great job. So, uh, anyone, questions anywhere? Hey, if you guys could wait for the mic, too. Um, Hi. Um, This has been a great discussion and great questions. Um, I'm I'm kind of wondering, um, when I watch Jessica Jones, um, 
I'm I'm always just amazed at how sparse the the dialogue is. Um, I mean, it's like kind of haiku to me as as a writer. Um, I mean, you guys are like the total opposite of an Aaron Sorkin or something like that. And I'm always amazed by that because, you know, it's such a, a just, you know, high atmospheric noir show. And, you know, as you were saying, there's there's so much action that's like non-action action. And I'm just wondering if you can talk about how you get there to that really sparse writing. Do you start out like lots of dialogue and you pare it down or was it Melissa's vision or is it you guys came there, you know, gradually? Um, I, anyway, that's my question. I think in the first season, yes, we had to sort of, you know, come to how dense or not dense the dialogue would be, how much voiceover. We initially had a lot more voiceover than ultimately ended up. Um, and, uh, and I think a lot of it also kind of took shape in editing, you know, uh, what's needed and what's not needed. Um, and voiceover is one thing that you can continually sort of change, even in post-production. So that kind of helped give us some room to play with. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I think of the dialogue as sparse as much as. Like when David Tennant's on screen, they're like, right, more for this guy. <laughs> he's, he's amazing at acting. But I don't know. I think it's, uh, I mean, it's like with all writing. It's like you you first you overwrite, and then by the time Melissa gets to it and she's winnowing it down, she's like, what's the best part of this paragraph? It turns out you can say it in like one line, um, and it just goes through so many passes. And so it's like you really get down to like a kind of economy which is something I respect in, in all writing, I feel like. And her vision is, is very visual. It's very, you know, lots of, like, images. And, and um, you know, so we could sort of... And also that's the, the benefit of being on Netflix or any kind of premium where you don't have to cut to a commercial or something. You have time to sort of linger on a shot or, you know, you know take your time with her walking down the hallway um, and create that atmospheric feel. Maybe, maybe it's also a character thing because she doesn't, the character does not like to talk. It's like she is not going to sit down and be like, let me tell you my life story. She is generally going to want to talk to as few people as possible and talk to them as little as possible and say what she needs to say very succinctly. So it's not, yeah, like Olivia Pope giving a big like, blah, 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 blah. it's just like, screw you, get out of my way and on to the next thing. I think that's true for for. Jessica Jones and for Luke Cage in our series, they're both like people of few words and economy of words. Right here. Um, connecting to that same topic, I was also amazed by the sort of economy of sensationalism. Like you really think this is this raw, most edgy show ever. And then really thinking about it, I don't think there was real nudity or real... Um, f-bombs or anything so um which is great because you you you're doing it with i mean sort of like that when you take when you um limitations create imagination but the question is um were those requirements did they come down from marvel or netflix and then that brings me up to generally what was the note process who was giving approval um well marvel i think uh would you know wanted a uh they wanted an edgy, grounded 
show that was true to the comic book, but they also want to um, serve their wide audience that is goes young, fairly young. Um, so you know, we knew t- Marvel guided us in this too, and we knew to aim for like a PG sixteen. Uh, but I think that one of the the geniuses of um, Melissa is to create the um, such an atmosphere that you think you might have heard an f bomb, but there was really hasn't been one in thirteen hours, and um, and uh, you know the same for nudity and for and the whole even the whole subject of rape. It's all sort of like suggested, which in a weird way kind of makes it more awful because you know uh it's almost like your imagination kind of fills in the horrors yeah and and that was so sorry that was something you know mel i think was very clear about early on is like she never had no interest in seeing a rape and it was never something almost to like depict that is to give it power and so it's it's a very you know you can everybody understands what rape is you can talk about it without showing it which would almost feel you know, sensationalistic and like you're, you're using that for entertainment value. Um, I I know there were a lot of discussions about the, uh, the, the Luke Jessica scenes, the, the super sex scenes as we would call them, because, because there's sort of the, the, the two, there is the, the one where they hook up, but they don't want to show their powers and I'm not going to make the face, but you know, they're, they're holding back. You know? And then there's the one where it's like, okay, we know, we know who we are and, and we imagine some like destruction and bent dumpsters and different, different things. But I think in the end, by the time it goes through the filter and the, the director and onto the screen, you, you, you found a tasteful thing, which was, which was also in the in in the Alias series, you know, even in the shot of Luke sitting at the edge of the bed and Jessica there. So we 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 took those images and we did it as as tastefully as possible. In terms of the notes process, I feel like uh, Marvel and Netflix really uh, complement each other very well because they're very uh, concerned with different things. Uh, Marvel is more concerned with you know their characters their ip you know their action set pieces and moving the plot forward and tying in with the you know other shows and things like that and netflix is really concerned with character and would be very happy with an episode where you know jessica and luke sit across the table from each other and have a really exciting conversation like <laughs> but maybe marvel would not so it's like the blend of those two things i think really made the show what it is but we did go into some like really like serious play. like I wrote uh episode five, which is where Hope has the abortion, and then uh one of the writers in the room said, "What if we do something with the fetus?" and I was like, "Oh my God, and Netflix was like, "Great <laughs> yeah, do that but but just side boob and the sex scenes, but do something with that so but they understood the the, the value of that in the story. What that meant and all and all those other things. It wasn't going to be gratuitous, but it was an an, inter- an interesting story point of what the bigger plan that was in store. But uh, uh, but Netflix was, you know, at least on my half, you know, they were like, go, you know, go for it. Yeah, and I would I would say Marvel in their notes, uh, Jeff Loeb, who's sort of like the head of their entertainment, I guess, or television, um, was very very supportive of Melissa's vision. Um, and uh, actually, the 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 comic books, the graphic novel, is uh, a little bit racier than than the show. I mean, it's, it's, they they do drop the f bomb, and it's the first word. That's right. In yeah. the book. 
Um, so uh, anyway, um, so uh, I felt like it was the most um, kind of supportive of a showrunner's vision that uh, I've experienced a studio being. And also, <laughs> they, they uh, often we would come up with a character, not often, every now and then we come up with a character who we invented, and they would find some um, analog, some uh, yeah. Marvel Universe pre-existing character that we could then sort of work our way into. Right, like uh, Clemens, if you guys remember uh, the amazing actor from The Wire, whose name I'm spacing with, Clark, Clark Peters. Peters. Clark Peters. Uh, we were like, yeah, we need a cop. And so we like writing these stories for a cop. And then Marvel is like, oh, you can, here's this like character that like is not going to affect, mess up your story in any way. But like the fans are going to hop on Wikipedia and be like, oh my God, he's this guy from that thing. And it just gives like a little extra. I'm one of those people talking in that weird high voice, incidentally. (laughs) As well as, um, Hogarth, who, um, is in the Marvel universe is a male, um, lawyer. But we had invented this female lawyer, and there's a way to. Right over here. Hi. Um, so, I mean, Jessica Jones is its own show, but it's also part of the Marvel Universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, more specifically, like, the Netflix, like Daredevil, and then the future series, like Luke Cage and Iron Fist. What kind of challenges do you guys face when wanting to write your own show but also having to like oh i have to make tie-ins or refer back to this character from another series or set up spin-offs like blue cage i mean i i, I think we, we, they don't give us the other shows don't give us a list of like make sure you do all this stuff um which is good because that would be really hard but it, it is more like even though we're you know a, a season two show in some ways we're a season five show because you don't want to do things that those shows have already done because those that's those are your sister shows and like initially it was only like we only had daredevil to worry about and so there was like well let's not go to the docks and like let's not do human trafficking or rooftop fight scenes or rooftop fights or wear our hats over our eyes or like there's just a short list of stuff we couldn't do and it is expanding now where we sort of have to track a little bit and marvel is very you know helps us track this in their super high security manner of like what's going on in these other shows just so we don't repeat storylines or like they have you know you don't want to get to the end we've done this whole season and like oh it's exactly the same as iron fist um yeah i remember uh originally we were going to have luke cage for the entire season and uh, when the heads of Marvel, Jeff Loeb came in and saw the board says, you got Luke all, all, all through the season. You only got him for like six episodes, you know. We're like, what? You know, because you know, the, the truth is Luke was going to have his own show. So we have to leave some territory for they can put their imprint on him and, 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 and we can launch him in a way where we can sort of hand it off. So, uh, uh, so Luke... So, two things in my mind was like, "Oh, I miss Luke," and I like, "Please let me write a Luke episode," you know, <laughs> the, the non-Luke episode. But that that was sort of the thing where, you know, you're you're writing in this in this small little room, and then sometimes you get the information where, uh, you know, we're not privy to Daredevil and all these other things where, you're like, okay, we have to make this adjustment or that adjustment. But we were we were our, our own sort of machine. And the, all the these shows are connected by being in the same universe. However, 
uh, and Marvel encourages this, uh, encourages this, is that each of the shows has a very distinct voice. And so, you know, uh, Daredevil has a very different feel from Jessica Jones, which has a very different feel from Luke Cage. And presumably all those are different from Iron Fist. Um, but, um, yeah, they're, they're, we try to, in a way, create our own little mini-universe within the Marvel universe. Yeah, and I would I would actually say just from having some you know exposure to now all these different properties, I think we're sort of the most autonomous one, and it goes to what Hilly was saying about their support of Melissa and her vision and her not being a Marvel person. It's like she's never going to walk in and be like, so when can we you know when's our big crossover? It's like she's concerned with like telling the best season possible, and they they get out of her way you know except when they'll be like oh could this character actually be hogarth you know like that's that's usually the extent of it i remember the only the only information i had was avengers has just happened new york has been destroyed new york is starting to rebuild this is the aftermath with the people in hell's kitchen dealing with that and getting on with their lives uh and they also said you have the galactic hero superheroes you have the guys fighting for the planet. You have the guy, the green guy, the guy with the hammer, and the the billionaire with the suit. Like they never wanted us saying any names. And our P, our street heroes don't reference them. Don't they're those guys, you know? So that was the playing field, and it made it easier to just all right. We're living in this neighborhood on Forty Something Street. Go. That was that. I just had a question about uh, obviously being tied to Marvel and having Marvel Comics. How much or how little involvement were there from the writers? Because obviously the properties from Michael Brian Michael Bendis was a great writer, but I know with the MCU they did have a panel of comic book writers that did just kind of review and give notes. Was that any kind of part of with the uh, Netflix shows? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Bendis came on like what the first day? Yeah, he came on the first day and kind of talked to us about uh, Jessica Jones the. What did he talk about? <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't in the room yet. <laughs> but uh, I remember he then later, you know, then he was sort of out, and then he endorsed, said that he liked the show when we had episodes made, and we were like, oh, man, Bendis likes it. That's- he basically was offering his help if we had any questions, but it was like day two, so we didn't really have any questions yet. We were like, thank you, though. <laughs> you know, but, but, but he was very nice and, and, and very receptive to what we were going to do. I think we just basically talked to him as, like, fans of the book, you know. There are like a couple Mar- oh, whoa uh, Marvel comics comics oh, that's broken forever. Um, there are a couple like Mar- Marvel people from New York who will weigh in, but in generally it's Jeff Loeb. It's like it's sort of our section of the universe is like he is the man. And and Brian Michael Bendis's dialogue is very um, strong and 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 very was very inspiring, and we used several of his you know lines and exchanges throughout the series. Hi, you spoke to this a little bit before about how Melissa had this vision where she didn't want to see rape scenes, she didn't want to have like the male gaze or be in the Wonder Woman thong and not around the stripper pole and all that kind of thing. And unfortunately, that male gaze and that kind of mindset is very ingrained in a lot of our television. And did you ever have any challenges or surprise yourself as writers when you started writing and go, oh, 
oh, wait a minute, I can't do that. That, that is too male gaze or that is too much like that, even though you didn't really think you were going there at first. I found uh, personally that the the working on the show exposed some uh, very you know subtle prejudices that I didn't even know I had uh, you know which I feel the better person for like Melissa's great about you know I'll write a scene uh, with a doctor and a nurse and I make the doctor a man and the nurse a woman and without even thinking about it and she goes and she she flips them and she flips she does that throughout the show like any assumption even if it's just like the most throwaway thing she'll go in and just flip it and like she's she's great about that and it really got me thinking twice about like even the most trivial scenes that I'll write you know that you know doing something you know that is you know you know I don't know what to say now (laughs) not sexist I guess uh, I I agree with that and it went as as Jamie's saying all permeated throughout production so like even the extra so these are things you're not even writing the you know make sure that the extra nurses are half men half women and that the um doctors are not all white and you know so she was really concerned she, you, you think that you're that she's like sitting there watching the scene but she is she's also looking at the extras in the background and you know um so i think she caught she, most of the time before anything like that would ever happen but um she's just so great at like even kind of circumventing, um, you know, getting trapped in the male gaze, um, you know, before you get to production. And and having female characters that re- exist, you know, not in relation to a man, like to have the central relationship of our show be a friendship between two women that has, like, no bearing on any, you know, man, and I think is one of the, makes this a really strong show and will continue to going forward, I think. And I, I think also it extends to, again, this is a production issue, but um, camera angles. So, for example, there's a scene where um, Trish is being attacked by this officer Simpson because he's under the spell of Kilgrave. Um, and there was a camera angle um, for the... There are many, many camera angles, but one of them was Trish on the ground. Um, the camera was the POV of Simpson, and she was, like, backing up, you know, terrified of him, and, and the camera sort of pushing forward on her. Um, we didn't use that shot <laughs> because it was it's a little too like uh victimy. And Trish is actually kind of you know, she's strong. She's been taking Krav Maga. Um uh you know, in the situation she's trying to get away from this like psycho killer, but um she's you know, really particular and careful about picking angles. I think like to like to me the biggest sort of profound effect, surprise, I don't know the word was uh after it came out. Like in the room we were dealing with really serious subjects but we were also a room that laughed a lot you know and (laughs) we made each other laugh and jokes and we took it seriously but i personally didn't realize the effect that that was going to have on people like i would i would do q a's or uh people would approach me afterwards and say i'm a survivor and thank you and i'm just like you know i get goosebumps just thinking about it now that i that i was a part of something that not only just entertained but spoke to to people who felt like they were alone in that in their own story, and they saw something that reflected them a powerful woman, a strong woman, a woman that looked like them and went through their thing and When I was getting those reactions, I was like I was like wow that's that's a beautiful thing, and I would share like the emails or things I would get with, with Melissa and everybody, and like wow, look what look at look what we 
managed to do and, and, and affect people. So I thought that was a a, a really uh, a thing that, you know, still gives me the goosebumps. Thanks. What's it like working for a show for Netflix where you know the chances of it being canceled or probably won't happen and that you can go for five or seven years or seasons that – you, you work on that capacity because a lot of shows are always waiting each time to see whether renewed and Netflix seems to renew a lot of the series that are doing well. Well, they didn't renew it right away. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were kind of waiting actually. Um, I don't think there's any sort of precedent for the c- kind of situation that we were in because there's these four interrelated shows and, you know, they all drop at one time. You, Netflix doesn't release their ratings. It's all, it's all kinds of weird things that you don't know. Um, so there was actually a little bit of an element of suspense. In my mind, it was carrying, to me, carrying the momentum of Daredevil. Because we were still working as Daredevil came out and had great reviews. I was like, oh, it's got great reviews and we're next. <laughs> you know? So we were like, can we keep it to the same level? Can we keep it uh, going? I don't want to be the, the show that, oh, Daredevil was good until that came down. you know. So in my mind, I was like... You just don't know when the writers were released. I didn't know. I know we were working and it all felt great, but could we sustain? Yeah, I mean, it it is nice to have some a feeling of the security, but it is it was a long uh, long wait. And uh, I I think it goes back to what I said earlier about like we're sort of you know one of all these other shows. So it's like when you know our season two comes out, it'll be season six or seven or whatever of this you know marvel netflix grand experiment so yeah it's about i you know staying for me it's about like staying in this as long as i can but also finding a way to you know stay busy in in what could be some pretty long hiatuses Um, so Jessica and Kilgrave and even some of the uh, minor characters are all so well fleshed out and unique. So as writers, what's uh, your best advice for staying true to a character's developed and unique voice? <laughs> well, <laughs> we should really be nailing this one, guys. <laughs> Not looking good. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm going to tell, tell something, but maybe I'll come back to the thing. Was was uh, uh, We had somebody, Netflix or somebody, gave us this thing of cookies, and they sat it on the table. And I didn't eat it, but the cookies were, like, terrible. They were Turkish, so, Turkish delight. Yeah, delight. they were like, oh, gross. So we would, we, would, we would pitch to a room to Melissa, and if it wasn't good, the thing was eat the cookie. <laughs> You know, and and you know you're leaving your parking lot, and you're like the guy at the end of Breakfast Club, like I didn't eat the cookie, you know. <laughs> and 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 I think part of what what it was was the pitch was, you know, not only can I make this interesting, but can I make this honest and and true? And you're really sitting there, and sometimes there would be like ten, fifteen minutes of quiet while you're really just trying to figure out. What could be a really, you know, uh, a scene that's 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 honest? And I feel like in this show, 
that that honesty was sort of a a big part of of of, of Jessica and Luke's Luke's story, uh, particularly all the things that they don't say to each other and why they don't say to each other and the truth behind that. And uh, there was always this sort of pressure, not pressure like you know, whoosh, you know, but pre- you know, you're sitting there like, how can I make leave today? Getting something on the board that feels good, that feels like you know, honest and 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 creative. And we had a really good group of writers. And and uh, a good cool thing about the writers' room, as opposed to a screenwriter's life, is you're sitting by yourself. And Hilly or Jamie, they could say something, and maybe they're reaching for the cookie bit. But but wait, what if? Mm-hmm. And and it's like tag team. You know, it's like like a dance. And one comment, one offbeat thing can lead into this this great creative moment. You know, and I think that's when writer's room works the best is, is when you're riffing off of each other. And that's something I enjoy. Yeah, I, I definitely believe that, like, you get to so, such cooler places with a room full of people, certainly, than I get to on my own. And, and, and in terms of the... The character thing, I mean, characters are a, a, a sum of their actions, right? So it's like you, it goes to the thing earlier of like what Jessica or Kilgrave or Trish or whatever would or wouldn't do. And Melissa has a very clear idea of that, and we're all supporting her vision, and eventually we get a, you know, a clear idea. So you're like, you won't even pitch the cookie idea because you already, you'll think of it and you'll be like, Jesse wouldn't do that. Wait, like, it, maybe it'd be cool and I'd like to see it on TV, but that's not something that this person would do to solve this problem. And just by, you know, staying true to that every time, I think that's how these really compelling characters emerge. But sometimes, though, <laughs> sometimes you say uh, one of the phrases that we say a lot in the room, not this, but. Oh, yeah. And so you, you do say the bad example, uh, you know, the thing that you know would, Trish would never say or whatever. But then it leads somebody else to say, oh, yeah, no. But if you if you flip it around and, you know, it, it's like the tag team that Ed was talking about. Um yeah, and in terms of uh, these fleshed out characters, the the thing that I think that really works about Jessica Jones that I think we all kind of tapped into from the comic books is that she's um, she's a person with superpowers who's insecure about her powers and insecure about herself, and she has low self esteem. And I kind of, well, at least from I can personally uh, sort of relate to that in, in the sense that, like, especially as a writer, you, your superpower is like your writing. Um, but at the same time, it's also probably one of the things you're most insecure about. <laughs> the, you know, you're, you're like often very self-critical and, and you, you are very sensitive about it. And so I feel like it was just such a relatable quality of Jessica Jones that she's like um, powerful, but deeply insecure and has low self-esteem and is self-destructive in so many ways. You know, another facet in the creative process where we're writing is once a writer finishes writing a draft, everyone reads it and goes into this room with a round table and we all sort of critique the script, which could be, you know, luckily it's a, it's a, you know, the, the writers are really good. It's a safe place, but it's a little nerve wracking. It's like, okay, this is the first time, I'm gonna share my thing with a group of people. Have I have I nailed what Melissa's looking for? How how is this gonna play? But that's another sort of way where the writers' room works good, and you're all sort of pitching how this script could be better. But it's another piece of how that all comes together, you know. And it's it's, it's a group process. 
so uh, I, I know you said earlier when you guys were writing this, you writing it like a long movie, it all drops at once. Do you think that's uh, a good thing? Because at the end of the day, people, when people judge it, they judge it for the entirety of the season, not necessarily by an episode. Like, some, I'm just going to compare just like Game of Thrones um, every week, Monday morning, everyone's around the water cooler. Oh, did you just see what happened? But when it's on Netflix, everyone's like, have you seen Orange is the New Black? Yet? Oh, no, wait, don't say anything. I'm only on episode two. Do you think that kind of hurts the dialogue when people are discussing the show? I mean, it, it does bum me out sometimes. Like, I remember when it first, like, the day it came out, like you were talking about, I remember, like, you know, 13 hours later, I got a text from somebody who was like, finished it, great show, bro, thanks. And I was like, that was a year of my life, and that was so much sweat and blood and toil, and you're like, nice work, that was my afternoon. Like, what? You want them to savor it. <laughs> yeah, and Game of Thrones, it is true. Like that, that sort of like appointment viewing is um, is cool. Like it's nice to have like some everybody talking about one thing. But the flip side of that, I'll say, is like there was there was the really short reaction, but then it also allowed the reaction to be drawn out. Like it sort of came in waves, and what, after you get through like all the the fans of you know the big Marvel fans have watched it right away. And then you got to the stuff like Ed was talking about, like the survivors being like, I just discovered this show and like it really meant something. So it's like you had different people discovering it and like word of mouth and it's sort of people watching it at different times and, oh, I just watched your episode. So it's like you didn't have one day to let or like uh, several days to celebrate, but you had it sort of like, you know, drawn out. Yeah, it was like waves as a sort of word of mouth spread, like the circle kind of got wider and wider as to who was watching it. And it was it was sort of encouraging and surprising to see the different types of groups. People who would never watch a superhero show would watch it because of the content, you know? Yeah, like, as a viewer, I enjoy sort of the binge aspect, you know, where I could sit and watch two, three Jessica Jones, but I do miss, I did miss the 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 build-up, the what's going to happen next, you know, like, yeah, I'm working on this Wayward Pines episode. My episode is on Wednesday, 9 o'clock on Fox. It's going away. But that's an example of, wow, okay, Wednesday, this episode I wrote is going to air, and I've had a week to digest what's just happened. You're not digesting anything on Netflix. You're just clicking, you know, you're just seeing the countdown to the next episode up on the screen. But uh, they both have their advantages. I mean, kind of, a, a little bit in terms of, like, e exposition and things that, like, generally you don't like on TV anyway. Like, we don't have to do that. You don't have to have the scene where you're like, so we just came from the bank and now we're going to blah, 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 because they just saw that and they constantly remind you Last of it. Last week on Jessica Jones. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's nice. it does feel like you, you don't have to kind of burn, burn time that way. Hi. Um, so people have talked about how it is factoring into this Marvel universe, and I guess my question speaks to that. You are in a unique position of sort of after a long sort of hiatus from the writers of getting Jessica back after somebody else is kind of like putting her in an eight-episode thing. Like she's got the crossover thing, and then you're 
getting her back? Is that, I mean, do you guys, did you guys have any say in what you wanted to see from her next or you just feel like you're picking her up right where you left off? Is that a, is that a difficult I'll, thing to I'll feel let, like? I'll let Jamie answer that because <laughs> I don't want to say too much. Yeah, I feel like if I answered that, uh, Stan Lee would come and shoot me in the head because, uh, yeah, moral security is no joke. But it, it, it is, um, I mean, I would say we work with the other shows in sort of like, uh, you know, a vague way um, without ha- having them entirely drive us. Um, it is weird to be like, you know, the, the character has done stuff that we, you know, can't undo or like, you're like, oh, this would be a cool scene, you know, to do, but it's, it, it, it's already been done. It's a little weird. Like, yeah, somebody, it's like, Somebody came and wrote, you know, did a second season of your show, and now you're back for the third. But, um, but at the same time, it's not it's not entirely like that because it's not like a, it's still the same, you know, show. It's not like you know an entirely different universe. Is that vague enough? Am I okay? <laughs> back over there. Uh, so I'm just wondering, um, from your writing. From script to screen, there's the, obviously directors get involved. So I'm just wondering how much of your writing changes by the time the director has an impact on interpreting your scripts and so forth. Um, well, usually you're going through the um, uh, whole pre-production process with the director, and so then a lot of the reality of <laughs> we can't afford like 400 people to come running down the street, so can we do it with 10? Um, <laughs> You know, so uh, there's a lot of like definitely production things that uh, production constraints sometimes that make you think more creatively about how to accomplish the same thing, but less expensively. Um, and then uh, really good directors also are good dramaturgs. And so they um, will say, I don't understand why she is so upset at this point. You know, they'll they'll challenge you on certain things and, may, you know, and also the actors, too. But um, but uh, so I would say that that the director's you know, have a fair amount of um, uh, effect on the script through the pre-production process. I mean, our, and our first director, S.J. Clarkson, was really, like, set the look of the show. Like, she, she was a rock star and, like, everything that, like, is great, all the dirty frames and, like, just the the whole look. And, like, she pulled, you know, shots from the comics, that great shot of Luke's back and stuff like that. She, uh, I'd say she was a big influence that just carried on kind of like the melissa of the directing world where everybody's like oh we're gonna do that you know some version of that i guess we'll make your second question the last question wait for the mic a couple of times you mentioned that it was a unique experience for you because there was no pilot and I think later in the conversation, you said something about um, ground rules that she doesn't use her sexuality. And I remembered, I think it was the pilot where she says, I don't flirt, I just get. So my question is, the pilot was different from your experience and yours in previous instances. But what, what did you, knowing that they'd be binge watched, were there any rules of what needed to happen in the, needs to happen in a pilot on something like Netflix? Like every main character needs to be, like what... What did you look for, or was it just one of the first episode? I think we looked at it more as like, yeah, the first chapter of, of this long story. And um, we didn't actually, because Kilgrave actually is very minimal in the beginning, um, 
we didn't feel compelled to, as you might in a broadcast network show, uh, introduce all your characters in the pilot so that you know what the world is. Um, our work in the pilot, in the you know first episode, is it was to establish the world and the look and the feel without necessarily... And Trish actually only has, what, one or two scenes? Yeah, like one scene. One yeah. scene. And so, you know... Uh, and I think Netflix also, you know, that's their MO as well. It's like, you don't have to um, introduce everybody right away. You can take your time and just be as slow as you want. Um, because it's sort of more satisfying to just let things unfold in a kind of more organic way. Um, I love, like, working without a pilot. <laughs> yeah, and even when they reviewed it, like, the critics were given the first five, I think, or something like yeah, that. Five. So no one is really... You know, the pilot should be a great, you know, episode of TV, but it doesn't in the same way have to be like people will see this and only this and then have to imagine what the show is. It's like generally they, you know, give you some time to ramp up to stuff, which is nice. I mean, in the sense that it's pretty much just a continuous 13 hours, they're really, you know... Uh, it's not you can't think of it the same way as you we used to think of pilots as just being a kind of a self-contained thing um it's just like you're starting to tell the story and there was a abc pilot that melissa had written that was very sort of faithful to to the the book uh uh in terms of the beginning but during those few weeks of of blue skying you know, you you start to think of the Hope character and Malcolm and all these sort of things, and you you start to see that you know the ABC pilot starts to f- fall away, and a new a new first hour is is emerging, and a lot of that came from the from those first few weeks of just character building. Yeah, I think actually to you know going speaking to the broadcast network version of it. Uh, I think the initial concept was like case of the week, you know, just a sort of a more traditional look at detective agency. Yeah. So, and then there were, there are still cases in the, in the pot, but it's more like you pick up the end of a case, you see a little bit of it, you see the Luke as a case, so you don't really understand what it is. It's like much more because then you're going to find out what it is in the next episode. So yeah, you're not driven to, you want to have some, PI beats in it, but you don't need to be like, this is the week where we do this case. You can you can tell it over a few episodes. Well, thank you guys so much. This is where everyone claps. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thanks for coming. <laughs>